So 1 Corinthians 13, great chapter, one of the more beloved chapters in the Bible. It's a chapter you've all been waiting for, isn't it? Wives have been circling this on their calendar, saying, husbands, I don't know, you make sure you're here on this Sunday when 1 Corinthians 13 is taught. It's going to be good for you. So everybody's been looking forward to this. It's great. And it is indeed just a glorious, beautiful chapter, one that we read oftentimes in, in weddings, even at funerals, as we focus on and, and highlight love, different kind of love than we saw on the slide there where the pastor was, you know, God loves everyone, different kind of love than that, but it's a biblical kind of love. We're going to talk about what that love is like, but, but you see, oftentimes we look at this chapter and we just get all nice and warm fuzzies and we're just like, oh, love is so wonderful, it's so beautiful, and it is, but remember the context of what Paul is addressing here and what he's working through as we're walking through 1 Corinthians because Paul's been dealing with, especially in chapter 12, gonna cover in chapter 14. What's Paul been kind of highlighting here? Anybody? Thank you, gifts, all right. I know everybody's afraid to answer anything, right? It's like, I'm I'm gonna have the wrong answer. That's why you just, you know, you just yell out Jesus if you don't know. That's usually (laughs) a safe answer. But you got the right answer, gifts. This is what Paul's been focusing on. And, and sometimes we think chapter 13 is just kind of like Paul taking a break, hitting the pause button, because he's really having to bring correction into the church at Corinth with how they've been operating in gifts and, and the way this, you know, they've been conducting themselves. He's had to really bring some correction and even discipline. Chapter 14 will be the same. Some people feel like chapter 13 is just Paul taking a bit of a parenthetical break to just go, let's just pause, let's just talk about love, let's just hold hands and sing kumbaya, everybody, and let's just come back together in unity. But that's not the idea, because chapter 13 fits exactly in the context of what we're looking at here. Remember Paul said at the end of chapter 12 that you need to desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Remember that? End of chapter 12. And so what Paul is saying here is like, listen, gifts are good, they're important, they're needed, but I'm gonna show you something even more excellent and even at times more profitable. And that's where we get in chapter 13 because that more excellent way is the way of love. You see, chapter 12 is the example of gifts. Chapter 14 we're gonna look at next week is the exercise of gifts. Sandwiched in between now is chapter 13, which ties it all together because chapter 13 is the expression of gifts. How these gifts are to be operated in and the motivation behind moving in these gifts and what that's supposed to stir up and do in the church. So it's all about love. We're gonna look here in this chapter three things the importance of love verses one to three verses four to seven we're going to see the impeccability of love and then lastly the invincibility of love in verses eight to thirteen let's jump into it here verse one paul says though i speak in uh, with the tongues of men and of angels but i've not love i've become sounding brass or a clanging symbol. That's so descriptive, I love it. Now, Paul's gonna give five examples of gifts because that's kind of the context again, we're dealing with gifts. He's gonna give five examples of gifts coming up here that he's gonna use to kind of highlight how these things can be in operation, but again, without love, they're gonna fall short. And he's gonna, he's gonna give uh, kind of an exaggerated comparison of how some of these gifts might operate and use some extreme examples of each. The first one that he brings up is, is of course, tongues, because tongues was the one thing, as you've, if you've been here the last few weeks, we've been centering on, 
Tongues was the thing that everybody in church of Corinth seemed to be wanting to grab a hold of and gravitate to. Why? Because tongues kind of puts you center stage, right? You speak out in tongues, everybody's gonna be like, whoa, what's going on there? What are they saying? Wow, that guy must be so spiritual. And it began to elevate and pump up people and they began to desire speaking in tongues for what it would do for them, not so much what it would do for the body. And so Paul's been drumming into them, listen guys, the gifts are for the profit of all. It's not just for you. So Paul, first of all, highlights this area of tongues that was a problem in the church, in kind of being abused in a self-centered way. He says, listen, though I might speak in the tongues of men. Now remember, when Paul uses that term tongues, it's the Greek word glossa or glossolalia, which speaks of a known language. It's a language that's presently used on earth, but it's, it's foreign to the speaker. The speaker doesn't understand that language, but it's a gift of the Holy Spirit to speak that language in a way that is going to edify others. And especially when there's an interpreter, then it's passed on for the benefit of all. That's what Paul says. This is not some, you know, odd, mysterious language. It's not gibberish, as sometimes we equate to speaking in tongues. We'll get into that next week. Don't get me started on that. We'll get into that next week. Come back then and we'll hear about more so the, the right use of tongues. But then Paul says, and even if I speak in a tongue of, of men, but I'm not love, it's, it's not gonna be helpful. And even, and here's where he kind of goes to the extreme, even if I speak in the tongue of angels, right? I mean, if I elevate things to the point where now, now I'm speaking in some angelic language, wouldn't that be amazing? And even if I do that though, and I don't have love, it's just sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Now, what is the, the tongue of angels? You look at that and you go, well, what's Paul meaning there? Is it some kind of heavenly language that's, that's again, mysterious, that, that we don't know? What is the tongue of angels? Well, again, I, I believe Paul is using this kind of as, as hyperbole to give sort of this extreme example. Say, even if I took this to the highest level and without love, it's not going to profit anybody. Now, we know that when angels appeared, in the Bible before men, they didn't speak with the tongues of angels. They spoke in a way that people understood them. They spoke the, the known languages. I don't think we're gonna be in heaven and angels are gonna have a whole, I, I don't know what we're gonna all be speaking. Some say, it's all gonna go back to Hebrew. We're all gonna speak Hebrew. That'd be kind of fun, wouldn't it? We all just know it instantly when we're in heaven. I don't know what's gonna be, but what Paul is saying is not so much that there's an angelic language, but even if I spoke like an angel and I don't have love, it's gonna be just sounding brass clanging cymbal. You, you parents that have had kids show up at home one day and say, guess what, mom? I'm gonna learn the tuba at band in school. Isn't that gonna be awesome? Or I wanna take up drums. And you're like, uh, honey, get the earplugs. We're gonna be in an awkward season right now. Like it's, it's, it can be harsh, you see. You know, that person in the band, right? Doing the cymbals, like they got like one job, right? It's like in that one part of the song, I need you just to clash those cymbals together. It's like one job, and you know they're in the band, and it's like all they got to do, they're standing through the rest of the song, do nothing, it's like, man, when that, my mom only comes, I'm gonna shine, man, I'm gonna hit these things with all I've got. And the person sitting in front of them is like, oh Lord, I need some Advil here, you know, this is not gonna be good. And that's what Paul's alluding to, it's like, man, when a person is speaking out in a way that they're not motivated by love, it's gonna actually be more hurtful <laughs> It's gonna give you a headache. It's not gonna be enjoyable. It's gonna be harsh and jolting. 
Love is the thing that drives all these things to be beneficial and helpful to all. Now, speaking with, or speaking about just language and our words, it's interesting, I think we need to look at just that word love in general. Because we have in our English language, one word for love. And love sort of covers it all. I love my children, I love hockey, I love chocolate, I love my wife. It's like one word doesn't quite equate to everything because I, I hope I'm loving my wife more than I'm loving chocolate. It's sometimes, you know, no, it's, it's always the, the, sorry, love of wife is always up here, but they don't compare. They, you, can't, you can't really explain what you mean exactly, but, it's, but see the Greeks now, they had four different words for love. They had the word eros, right? And eros spoke of this kind of sensual, passionate love. It's the kind of love that is always celebrated in Hollywood and movies, right? You know, this, this coming together is very sensual, erotic. We get that word erotic from eros, the Greek word for love. But then there's also the word storge, which spoke of a, a family kind of love. It was the love that was enjoyed between a, a child and a parent and that kind of family bond. Then you had phileo, right? Phileo spoke of a brotherly love. We've got city of Philadelphia, which is the city of brotherly love. So this is a, 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 a friendship kind of brotherly love that you had. But then there was the next word, the word agape, that kind of lifted love to the, the highest sort of level. It was a, a word that most Greek writers didn't usually use, but it became very much common in the Bible and with New Testament writers trying to describe the love that God had for us. In fact, it tells us in Romans 5.8 as a demonstration of this love, but God demonstrates his own love, agape, for us or toward us in that while we we're still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, that's the kind of love Agape love is so different than anything else. It was something that, that Christianity really began to present and bring to the forefront because that kind of love was an unconditional love. It was a giving love, a sacrificial love. Most of the loves were based on and dependent upon what you were getting in return. But agape love comes along and says, it's not based on what you're gonna do for me. It's a decision I make. It's a, a covenant that I'm, I'm making with another person. I'm gonna to choose to love that person no matter what is coming back towards me. It's a sacrificial giving love. That's the, the kind of love that the Bible highlights that, that Christians are to be living up because we see that demonstrated by God. And we love him, it says, because he first loved us. So this kind of love that, that we're to be enjoying and reflecting one with another. So when Paul says there again, like we alluded to at the end of chapter 12, that he's going to show them a more excellent way, it's more excellent because love would steer the gifts. Love would be the motivating factor behind the gifts that were to be done for the betterment of all, for the profit of all, to, to see the church being built up and edified and equipped. This is why it's more excellent. And again, he doesn't say, hey guys, these are the best gifts, but I'm gonna show you a more excellent gift. He doesn't say that. I'm gonna show you a more excellent way because this is a way of life now that's to be uh, driving in, in the Christian life to be conducting in. It's to be a way of life for us. It's not something that we wait to go, well, you know, um, I don't think I'd, I really have the gift of love just yet. I'm hoping it'll come one day, but right now, yeah, I'm not really too loving because I'm still waiting, 
you know, on that. It's not something that is gonna be gifted to you like other gifts, it's to be the way that you are as we are in Christ. He, God is love. And if we're in Christ, then we need to be walking in that way, the more excellent way, the way of love. In fact, we see in God's word that this is the very fruit of the spirit, Galatians 5, right? But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Now, recognize something that in the Greek, when it says that the fruit of the spirit, it's not in plural, it's singular, meaning that the singular fruit of the spirit is love. It's all about love. And, and the rest of these things that are listed in Galatians 5.22 are characteristics of that love. It's how that love is, is demonstrated one to another. Everyone wants gifts. Gifts are great, right? Gifts are impressive. They're, they're spiritual. They're like, oh man, look what I can do with gifts. But fruit, fruit can kind of be sort of maybe boring, unimpressive at times. It sometimes takes a long time to grow. But this love is a more excellent way because it's that which unites the church together as one and causes us to be serving one another, being others focused and, and others minded rather than focused on self. Love turns that all around and causes us to be who we've been called to be as followers of Christ. Well, verse two, <laughs> yep, we got a lot. Okay, verse two, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So again, gives another example of a gift, prophecy, gift of prophecy where he says, you can understand all mysteries and all knowledge. See, Paul takes you to the extreme and says, listen, I can have the gift of prophecy, not just the gift of prophecy, but I can know all things. And yet, if I don't have love, it's nothing. Now, Paul uses, again, kind of his hyperbole because even with, with prophecy, we're not gonna know all things. Only God knows all things this side of eternity. We're not gonna know all things, but even, it says, even if you could know all things, and yet you're not functioning in love, man, that's gonna fall flat. It's, it's not gonna be helpful. It's gonna be actually more, more hurtful if you're not being driven by love. And you could even have this exercise of faith or a gift of faith as the Bible talks about. You have a gift of faith that does what? Removes mountains, wouldn't that be amazing? If you could just have faith to go, man, I need this mountain moved or I need this Popeye's chicken just moved, it's in our way, we need that gone. At least hurry up and build that thing so I can enjoy a good sandwich. Like, come on already, get it together, Popeye's, right? But if you had faith that says, I'm gonna remove that and yet I'm doing it without love, again, that's gonna be more destructive than it is gonna be beneficial. Paul says, love needs to be behind all of these things. And verse three, though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned but I'm not love it profits me nothing here we have the gift of giving Paul says you could give everything man you could give it all up for the poor you could give everything you have to the poor and yet you could still do that in a way where it's very kind of self-serving or or done with the purpose of just glorifying self in fact Jesus had to correct the Pharisees the religious leaders for this kind of a thing Right? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, Jesus says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. That's what the religious leaders were all about, man. They wanted to be the ones that were being praised rather than them doing what they did to the praise of God. 
Be careful you don't do it that way. Otherwise, he says, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. If you're doing those things for your own glory and praise, Jesus says, there's your reward, man. Enjoy it. You better, better hit the record button and play back that praise because you're not getting any more out of it. In fact, you're, you're bypassing the great reward that you'd be getting from the Lord because you'd be doing it in the Lord then and not in yourself. That's the way we need to be giving. So Paul says, I could give everything, but if I don't do it in love, if I don't do it without the, the purpose being for me, then it's no use. And he says, I could give my body to be burned. Now, this perhaps is another kind of gift that Paul, gift of, of martyrdom that isn't biblically mentioned, but it could be this is another example that Paul has of being led in a gift to, to live that kind of sacrificial way. I mean, how incredible would it be for a person to say, yeah, I'm willing to give my life to be sacrificed for the glory of God. I'm, I'm willing to live as a martyr for the glory of God. But if you turn that around and you're like going to the stake and you're like raging at somebody else, maybe somebody ratted you out, or you're all like, you know, how come the rest of you aren't taking a stand like I am? How dare you? You know, like, how am I the only one that's good enough to be given my life? You know, if you're going with that kind of attitude, no love there. And, and again, it just kind of, it profits nothing. All these things that you can do can be done in a very spiritual way, but yet if it's not being motivated and backed by love, it profits nothing. This is what Paul is getting at here. So we see the importance of love. We look now in verse 4 at the impeccability. Of, look at how love is just being demonstrated and, and lifted up here. It says in verse 4, love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, and thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. You know, in those four verses that we read, Paul lists 15 characteristics of love. 15 of them are all senior. First of all, suffers long, right? Now again, we can, we can feel like we are oftentimes suffering long, right? Like, oh man, I'm just having to go through this again. My kids aren't listening and Oh, my wife wants me to do this, and I'm just suffering long. This is not what Paul has in mind, like you're just kind of moping around, suffering long. He's talking about you're being long-suffering. You're being patient. You're bearing up under these things. You're not moping around. You're going, you know what? Man, things aren't maybe exactly the way I would want them to be, but in love, I'm able to be patient through these things and know that God's at work, and God's going to lead me through I'm going to be long-suffering and patient through all these things. I'm going to suffer long, and I'm going to be long-suffering. I'm going to be patient in all of that. Isn't it wonderful that God is long-suffering toward us? In fact, it says in 2 Peter 3, 9 that this is why he is holding off right now. We all go, Lord, would you just come already? We want you. But God is patient, long-suffering, not wanting anyone to perish. That's the way that God responds to us, thankfully. Long suffers, or suffers long, and then is kind is the next characteristic that we see. We can be patient, and yet we can be unkind. We can say, listen, you were very fair to me, and I should really just not be your friend anymore, but I'm just going to walk in love. I'm just going to 
choose to be your friend. That's not being kind, right? You're kind of like giving the gears to your friend and kind of guising it in this act of love. That's not love. It's not being kind. And, and in fact, it's easy to be kind to those that are kind to you, but are you kind when it's not being reciprocated? In fact, we're, we're called in God's word in Ephesians 4.32 to be kind to one another and tender-hearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. You know, we can always look at reasons why we shouldn't forgive others and justify it or justify not being kind, but aren't you glad that God showed kindness to you when you least deserved it? Aren't you glad that God forgave you when we were not asking for forgiveness, when we were walking in sin and did not deserve it? Aren't you glad that God did those things for you? And may that motivate you to the love you've seen by God. May that motivate you to respond that way to others. Love does not envy, does not cause anyone to be jealous. What does envy do? It causes someone to be upset over the blessings or the gains that other people might be experiencing and, and, and it causes you to kind of feel ripped off. How come that's not happening to me? Lord, don't you love me? How come they're getting all the blessing? I want some of that. That's what envy does. Love doesn't envy. Love says, wow, that's awesome that you just won the lottery. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I'm not encouraging anybody to play the lottery, by the way, but, but, but it causes you to go, that's awesome. You rejoice with one another. You're excited about that. You're not envying over those things. Love says, man, it's not about me. I'm excited when good things happen to other people. That's what I want to live for. It does not parade itself. A person who is out promoting themselves or boasting in himself, they're not walking in love, plain and simple. In fact, many would think that the opposite of love would be like hatred or anger. We look at that as the opposite. I believe that the opposite of love is self. When you begin to have a fixation on everything kind of revolving around you, being about you, that begins to be a real absence of love. Love says, it's not about me. In fact, love says, I, I want to die to self and I want to live for the betterment of others. I'm not going to parade around myself. I want to live to the glory of God and, and to the profit of others. It's not puffed up again. Person who's walking in love isn't going to be proud. They're not going to be prideful. They're not going to be trying to, you know, put themselves up on a pedestal. Even, you know, look at how loving I am, everybody. I'm just walking in love. I'm just being a, a martyr here in this situation. Like, again, we can kind of puff ourselves up and guising it by just this kind of spirituality. But again, it doesn't do that. It doesn't even talk about, it's not even talking about self. It's saying, man, I'm, I just want to remove myself from the equation altogether. And I just want to live to promote Jesus and to bless one another. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 1, that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies or love builds up builds up one another. That's what love does. It goes on to say in verse five, does not behave rudely. Now that's the idea of, you know, uh, just being rude, being mean to other people, doing things that are not helpful to others. It doesn't behave rudely. Having this kind of improper manner. And remember what Paul was dealing with with the church of Corinth, how they were behaving oftentimes. They were coming to their love feast and they were jumping in line among poor. They were kind of pushing the poor aside. They were pigging out themselves when they had all this food at home and they were mistreating others. They would go to the Lord's table in, in communion and they'd be drunk from the, the feast and they were just behaving rudely. 
Paul again had to call them out on that in 1 Corinthians 11 to say, guys, that's not walking in love. There's real absence of love in that kind of behavior. It doesn't behave rudely. It does not seek its own. Again, that's looking out for others and not self. Philippians 2, 4 says that each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Love isn't provoked. Now, a good test for this is just to, you know, show up to the 10 o'clock service and try to make your way through the parking lot, all right? Here at Riverside, it's like, how easy it is to get provoked. How come the person's not pulling on the parking spot? I see the reverse sights on. Will they get out already? Got cars behind me honking here and I need to get moving. Let's go already. But love is like, again, love is patient. It's long suffering. It's like, well, maybe they're on the phone having a bad time, dealing with a family member. Maybe I'll give them another two minutes before I lay on the horn. You know, it's not, it's not easily, easily provoked, right? It thinks no evil. Now the NIV says, you've got an NIV, I love the, the translation. It says that it keeps no record of wrongs. It thinks no evil or the equivalent like keeps no record of wrongs. It's not taking a tab of things that somebody has done to you to say, hey, you know what? Last week you did this or last month. And those of you that are married know exactly what I'm talking about, right? It, it keeps no record of wrongs. And it's so easy to do. It's easy to remind people of the things that they've done but true love says, I'm not going to keep a record of that. I, I'm going to, as we've seen already, be, be quick to forgive and walk in kindness to one another. Remember Peter, you know, he came to the Lord one day and he said, hey, how often should I forgive my brother? How about seven times, Lord? Now the rabbis all kind of laid out that three times was kind of like the number. After that, it's like, nope, three was this number. And so Peter's come along thinking, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to impress Jesus here. I'm going to not just go double. I'm going to go double and add one. This is going to go way above the norm. How about seven times, Lord? And Jesus says, no, Peter. Seventy times seven, I say. Forgive your brother. Seventy times seven. And there's Peter, right? He doesn't have his calculator handy. He's like, oh my goodness, that seems like a lot. Let me draw that out in the sand here. He's doing his math and everything. He's like, 490 times? Like, how do you even keep track of that? Exactly. Jesus is saying, listen, you're not to keep track of these things. You're not sitting, sitting here going, oh man, I've forgiven this person 488 times, only two more, and then I get to really lay into them, and I can't wait for that. Bring it on. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this is not something you're to be keeping a record of. Love doesn't do that. Love is quick to walk in forgiveness and not hold things against others. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, right? There's somebody that's been annoying you and their house burns down. You're not sitting there going, oh, thank you, Lord, for answering prayer. It's for their good. I know, Lord, you're going to use that just to help them. You're not rejoicing in those things. You're grieving. You're like, man, that, that person kind of really bummed me out. But man, that's a difficult thing that they're going through. It doesn't rejoice in those things. It, it, it senses the it, the, the tragedy there and wants to come alongside and support and love. It rejoices in the truth. Now, sometimes truth can hurt, right? It reveals areas in our lives that need work, but, but we can rejoice in that truth, knowing that, that God's doing a further work in our lives. Love will receive and rejoice in that truth rather than repel it away. It'll receive it saying, all right, I need to hear this. This is for my benefit. I'm gonna be, be loving and responding to this now. 
Notice it says in verse 7, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. These are all, are all some very serious challenges here. Now, we can be those that bear in some things, that hope in a few things, that believe certain things, but Paul doesn't say that. He says, love does this. It bears and believes and hopes and endures all things. Not some things, all things. That's heavy, isn't it? But this is how love is to, to drive us and motivate us. Love doesn't grow tired. It keeps protecting and bearing. It believes all things. It doesn't become critical or pessimistic. It hopes all things. It doesn't give up. Even when things are going bad, it, it hopes for the best. And we have a reason to hope because we have a blessed hope in Jesus Christ. It endures all things. Love will keep pressing forward even when the storms are raging and the conditions seem like it's time to give up. Love endures all things. You know, you can take all these characteristics that we've seen, 15 of them from verses four to seven, and you can take the name Jesus and, re and place it in where the word love is. And you begin to see just the incredible model of this life that Jesus has demonstrated for us. Jesus suffers long in his kind. Jesus doesn't envy, doesn't parade himself or is puffed up. Jesus doesn't behave rudely. He's not seeking his own. He's not provoked. He thinks no evil. Jesus does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. You begin to see just the character of our loving God, our precious Savior. You can go and take your name and place it in there for the word love and begin to see, man, how, how far am I from that model and character of Jesus? Is, is Brent suffering long? Brent is kind. Brent does not envy. Brent doesn't parade himself or is puffed up. And you can, I mean, don't ask my wife about any of those things, but you can begin to see how easy we fall short in these areas. I don't say that to condemn you or to be critical, but to go, Lord, I want to be more like you. And you've given us a great model and demonstrate this love, Lord. I want to be more like that. I want to line up with these things. God, help us and lead us in these things. Well, Lastly, let's look at the invincibility of love. It says in verse eight, he love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. See, love never fails, guys. Prophecy, tongues, knowledge, all the gifts are one day gonna fade away. There will come a day when those gifts are no longer needed, but guess what? Paul says love is gonna remain. For we know in part, verse nine, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Listen, we don't know everything right now. We know in part, the Bible says. We don't have it all down. Not even prophecy reveals all things for us at this time. But, Paul says, a day is coming when we will have all things in full when that which is perfect has come. Because it's at that point that these gifts will be done away with. Paul speaks of a development or a change taking place. Verse 11 says, listen, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child. I thought as a child. That's where I was out of that season, in that stage of development. But we're not to stay there. But when I became a man, he says, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. See, gifts are given so that we can mature and grow and we can pour into the church and build up the church so again we can be equipped and grow into who we're called to be in the likeness of Jesus Christ. But when we grow and mature 
and reach that place, we no longer need those developing things. So when does that transition take place? When do we reach that, that stage of, of perfection? It's when we see Jesus face to face. When we are with him in eternity. When we will be changed and made complete, or as that word means, perfect. That's what Paul's talking about. Some would say that that, that which is perfect speaks of the, the canonization of the New Testament that we had when they were writing the Bible incomplete, the Old Testament, but now that we have the Old Testament and New Testament, the Word of God is now complete, and that's what's being spoken of. And so when the Bible now is in complete canonization, we no longer need the gifts. That's when the gifts have ceased. That's what people sometimes will, will say. But that view doesn't fit with the passage. Paul says we see in a mirror dimly. In this day in Corinth, they would take this metal and polish it up to the point where they could see themselves a reflection, in the mirror, but it was a dim reflection. Paul says there's coming a day when, when we shall see perfectly. When is that? When we see face to face. I don't think that's speaking about the word of God seen face to face. It's speaking of seeing Jesus face to face. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Amen. See, it can't be the word even though the word is awesome and the word is good, but we don't know all right now. But it says, then I shall know just as I also am known. That's speaking of how Jesus knows us. One day, we're gonna know fully because we're gonna know just as Jesus sees us. And that's perfectly and completely, but presently, we don't know all, even with the complete word of God. You see, the word doesn't tell us all there is to know, but it tells us all we need to know. And one day, we're gonna be made complete and perfect when we see Jesus face to face. That's what Paul is speaking about here, when we're in heaven, when we see him. And then he says in verse 13, and now abide, faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up, and we're gonna close with a song, even though it's getting late, and I'm rushing, and I apologize for that, but these are all necessary qualities, faith, hope, and love. All necessary qualities for the journey that we're on in this lifetime. We need faith to come to Christ. We need faith to continue in Christ. We need hope to persevere when times are, are tough and the days get dark. We need that blessed hope that the Lord is coming soon. Those are important qualities and we need love just to function as we're called to as believers. But the greatest of these is love, why? Because love, as Paul says, is gonna continue on. It doesn't fade away, it remains. You see, when we're made complete, when we're with Jesus face to face, guess what? We're not gonna need faith any longer. We don't need to keep believing. We're gonna be with them. We don't need hope any longer. We're not gonna be waking up in heaven saying, man, I hope today's gonna go okay. We don't need any hope any longer in heaven. We've got it all. But love is going to continue on because God is love. And we're gonna, I believe, continue to experience the glories, the greatness, the magnitude of this love for all of eternity as God continues to shower that down upon us. The greatest of these indeed is love. And I pray that we put that into practice, that we, we see this more excellent way. Amen. And that, that becomes a way of us to live these lives to the glory of God and as Paul has been drilling into us, to the profit of all. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this glorious chapter where we can focus on the greatness of love. Thank you, God, that that embodies your very character, that you're a God of love. 
And I pray, Lord, that we would know and grow in that love and that we'd be those that walk in that love more and more. Build that in us, Lord. Lead us in those things to the building up of the body of Christ and to the praise and glory of God here today. We pray in your name.